This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Christ, in the middle of all these swirling accusations and prejudicial hatred, he's in a state of sweet innocence. And he's overlooking, he has chosen to overlook all of the prejudicial hatred, etc., as he stays focused on one great work he's been sent to do. He's been sent as a Messiah lamb. He's been sent as the lamb of God. That's going to be his work. That's his work. He says, uh, my meat is to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. And and he's got this work in his mind. This is what, he's in this sweet, innocent, meek Jesus has got this work in his mind. And when he's sitting there like that, when he's standing there, he's very much like Nehemiah. Very much like Nehemiah who was enticed who was being enticed to leave the work in Jerusalem, Nehemiah. Come down off that wall you're building, Nehemiah. Take this invitation and come down to this valley in Ono, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah responds in Nehemiah 6.3, Nehemiah 6.3. I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? While I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah, Nehemiah, for Nehemiah to become distracted by the hateful invitation murderous of murderous Sanballat, come down off the wall he was building, which was really coming down, he said, no, can't do it. And in like manner, for Christ to engage in arguing with the high priest and exposing the lies of the false witnesses, all that represented for Christ leaving the work that God the Father had given him to be the Messiah Lamb of God, take away the sin of the world. If Christ took that bait to defend himself against those lies that were told against him, he would be coming down and leaving the great work of becoming the messianic sacrifice for our sins. So what does he do? Instead, he remains on higher ground. Higher ground focused on being the Messiah Lamb. So when Christ hears the high priest ask him in verse 63, 
I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be Christ, the Son of God. This is where the high priest, he knew that Christ had claimed to be the Messiah. Like I said, the high priest, he could have written one of the Gospels. He knew forward and backwards. He knew that Christ had claimed to be the Messiah. He knew that Christ had claimed to be God. And that's why the high priest asked Christ to tell out loud, say it, if he was the Messiah and God. What the high priest was thinking, that if Christ said out loud that he was the Messiah and God, that the high priest would have all he needed to condemn Christ to death. That's where the head of the high priest was. That's where the that's what the high priest was thinking in all this. But what the price, but what 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 the high priest was totally oblivious to, totally unaware of, is that when he asked that question in verse 63, tell us whether thou be the Messiah, the Son of God, or God the Son. The high priest is unaware that he is actually performing his formal duty of officially identifying for Israel who the Messiah is and who the God of Israel is. And that was what Christ in the beauty, Christ in the beauty of his presence there, that's what he heard. That's what Christ heard the high priest. When Christ heard the high priest say, Ask him in verse 63, tell us whether thou be the Messiah, the Son of God. What Christ heard in that question was, oh, this is the high priest for Israel. It's his responsibility to tell the people of Israel who the Messiah is, who the God of Israel is, and he's just asked me to tell if I am that Messiah and God the Son, God of Israel. And that's why Christ, he, he wasn't, you know, like, oh, I gotta tell. He wasn't forced. He was glad to step forward and to make the proclamation in response to the official high priest. And he gives a giant, yes, he says in, in verse 64. Verse 64, Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, in other words, you said, you put it perfectly, I couldn't put it better. And little did Caiaphas know that when he asked Christ that question, that Caiaphas was doing his duty as the high priest in identifying for Israel Jesus as the Messiah and Jesus as the God of Israel. And Christ saw this clearly, that Christ was just, just doing this, even though Caiaphas didn't know what he was doing, it didn't matter. Christ saw clearly that Caiaphas was, Christ knew, as far as that person goes, Caiaphas, the high priest, he, he knew, no way he's gonna believe. Christ knew that. He was very much aware that Caiaphas personally was not gonna believe that Christ was the Messiah and God. Therefore, before Christ even gave that answer to Caiaphas, Christ said to Caiaphas, Luke, 22:66 Luke 22:66 Luke 22:66 As soon as it was day the elders of the people the chief priests and the scribes came together led him unto their council saying Art thou the Christ tell us 
And he said unto them, if I tell you, you will not believe. He knew. He knew that if he plainly stated that he was the Messiah and God, that, that they wouldn't believe it and that it would mean the death sentence. Yet, Christ answered clearly that he was. He could have saved his life, could have saved his life if he had not stated that he was the Messiah and God. But he was determined that there should be no misunderstanding. There, it should be crystal clear of who he is. And so he made the plainest statement and claim that he's ever made in his life here on earth. Yes, officially answer, official answer to the official high priest asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you God? And he gives a sterling declaration of who he is because he doesn't want there to be any doubt in anybody. To Caiaphas, he has declared crystal clear, he is the Messiah, he is God. To Pontius Pilate, he will declare officially he is the king of the Jews. Caiaphas personally rejects Christ as Messiah and God. Pilate personally rejects Christ as the king of the Jews. But nevertheless, to Caiaphas, even personally, Christ showed a personal love in telling Caiaphas, vis-a-vis, face-to-face, he says, I'm Messiah, I'm the Messiah and God. And because Caiaphas personally rejected that vis-a-vis, face-to-face claim, the personal guilt of Caiaphas is great. To Pilate, again, Christ shows a personal love in telling Pilate, vis-a-vis, face-to-face, yes, I'm the king of the Jews. And because Pilate personally rejected that claim, personal guilt of Pilate, very great. Now, just think a little bit of these moments of revelation, because that's what they are. When Christ reveals he's Messiah and God, when Christ reveals he's the king of the Jews. These are, per, these are moments of revelation. That moment, that moment, when Caiaphas heard that Christ was the Messiah, he hears that from Christ, that he is the Messiah and he's God. And that moment when Pilate heard from Christ that Christ was the king of the Jews, what were those moments? What were those moments? I mean the very moment when they heard that from the lips of Christ. Yes, I'm the Messiah. Yes, I'm God. Yes, I'm the king of the Jews. Add to those moments the moment when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane and when he said, I am, and everybody falls backwards on their back. John 18.4, John 18.4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with him. As soon as he said unto them, I am, they went backwards and fell to the ground. What was that moment like when they heard him say, I am, and they fell to the ground? Add to that, add to those moments, the moment when Jesus replaced a severed ear, a severed bloody ear on the ground. 
which Dr. Luke, because he's Dr. Luke, tells us about in Luke 22.50. Luke 22.50. One of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. It wasn't the left ear, it was the right ear. Very precise, that's Dr. Luke. And Jesus answered and said, suffer ye thus far, and he touched his ear and healed him. What was that moment like of seeing Christ replace an ear? What were all those moments like of hearing Christ reveal that he's the Messiah and God, of hearing Christ reveal that he's the King of the Jews, of seeing everyone fall back when he said, I am, of seeing Christ replace a severed bloody ear. What were all those moments like? They were moments of stop and consider or reconsider. They were all moments when God pushed the great pause button on their lives. And when God pressed that great pause button on a life, at that time, it's just a moment. It's just a fleeting moment when a person has to stop and think, wait a minute, do I really want to go forward? Do I really want to keep on this or decision? And we all have those moments when we're wrong, dead wrong, as all those people were, and we're heading stubbornly down a road and all of a sudden, God hits the pause button in our lives. It, whatever it might be, might be a bloody ear, might be a, something you hear. But we, it's just a moment of stop, a moment when God says, you really wanna go forward? Do I really wanna go forward? Am I really making the right decision here? And that's what all these moments were like in this history in Matthew 26, there were moments when God push, pushes the great pause button in life and says, stop and reconsider. Now, the Bible calls that great pause button that God hits in our lives, hearing the voice of God. And it can be just momentary, but it's enough time for a person to call a halt to going down the wrong road. And that's what God says he does. And it's so important to stop when God hits the pause button because four times in the Bible, God says the same thing to do when God hits the pause button. Psalm 95.8, Psalm 95.8, harden not your heart, as in the provocation and the day of temptation of the wilderness. Get that. Harden not your heart. That was Psalm 95.8. Hebrews 3.8, that's number one. Hebrews 3.8, Hebrews 3.8. Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation and the day of temptation of the wilderness. That was number two, Hebrews 3.8. Hebrews 3.15 Hebrews 3.15, whilst it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation. That's number three, Hebrews 3.15. And number four is Hebrews 4.7, Hebrews 4.7. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, 
That's the fourth time he was 4'7". So in all those four times when the Bible talks about God hitting the pause button in life, which he calls hearing the voice of God, God says the same thing, which is harden not your heart. And the reason that the Bible says in those four places that, that when God hits the great pause button in life, don't harden your heart and stubbornly go forward because if a person does not stop at that moment, that pause button moment, they don't stop, they don't turn around after God presses the great pause button in life, the heart becomes hardened to the point where the person doesn't even realize in the future that God is slamming his hand down on the pause button in life. And this is what happened when God presses the pause button in life of a lost person. When God presses that pause button and stops and maybe really will consider the possibility, the possibility, maybe Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe Jesus is God. And if that person does not come to Christ during that pause in life, he becomes hard to the good news, the gospel. It appears that God had pressed the great pause button here in the life of Caiaphas because Caiaphas asked Christ one question which contains two charges that are all combined into one charge against Christ. The two charges were that Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus was God. And Caiaphas combined them. He didn't say, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? He combined them, which shows that Caiaphas has some knowledge, possibly, of the link between the Messiah and God. It shows that Caiaphas may have had some knowledge that the Messiah was gonna be God. This is not a Jewish view. This is not a Jewish view, and we can imagine that God may have revealed this to Caiaphas that the Messiah is gonna be God. And when Christ reveals to Caiaphas that, yes, he is the Messiah God, he is Messiah and God, the link, Christ did not elaborate on himself being the Messiah, but Christ elaborated on himself being God when Christ said in, the, in his answer, moreover, hereafter you'll see the Son of Man coming in power. So when Christ did clearly state that he was the Messiah God, the Messiah and God, Caiaphas reacted. And his reaction is verse 65, verse 65. And then the high priest ran his clothes saying, he spoke in blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you've heard his blasphemy. So Caiaphas pronounces in verse 65, he's spoken blasphemy. Caiaphas is quick to call what Christ said blasphemy. Why? He's prejudiced. He's prejudiced against Christ. It's not blasphemy if it's true. If it's true. And that's the question that the Sanhedrin needed to be focused on as the official court there. They should have addressed, looked at, and examined all the words of Jesus and all the works in Jesus' life and all the scriptures that Jesus fulfilled in order for that court to determine, did Jesus speak blasphemy or did he speak truth? 
Was Jesus the Messiah or was he an imposter? Did Jesus lie or did he tell the truth? Was Jesus the son of Joseph or was he the son of God, God the Son? Is Jesus the prisoner being judged or is Jesus the judge? Was Jesus no longer a Jew or is Jesus the king of the Jews? Was Jesus to be worshiped or was he to be crucified? Should Jesus be put to death or is Jesus the one who raises the dead out of life, raises the dead to life? Was Jesus just a poor man or was he God manifested in the flesh? Was Jesus out of his mind or did Jesus put others into their right mind? Was Jesus in league with Satan or was Jesus the conqueror, the defeater of Satan? These are the questions that the court needed to answer by taking into account all the words of Jesus, they had three years of it, and all the works of Jesus and the scriptures that he fulfilled. Now these questions are based on opposite sides to take. And a person has to choose which side he's on regarding Jesus Christ. Because these are the questions that have, must be answered and they all really come down. All those questions come down to one simple question. Matthew 16, 15, Matthew 16, 15. Whom say ye that I am? And fortunately in life, fortunately in life, you know, when you vote, we voted in November, when you vote, you know, you mark the ballot and you send it in. I think there's an option to change your mind. I don't know about it, but I saw something on it. But fortunately in life, God does allow changes to the wrong answers, to the right answer. And that's called repentance. And God rewards the sinner who changes with a gift called salvation. But right up to the last breath in life, changes are allowed. And that's called grace. And when Jesus claimed to be God the Son, there are only two choices for a response. Accept his claim and on your knees, on your face, fall down and worship Christ. Or reject his claim and join the chorus of crucify him. It all comes down to Matthew 16, 15. Matthew 16, 15. Whom say ye that I am? And to this point in the trial, the high priest of the judge has made three very profound statements. They're so important. They're so profound. The high priest doesn't even realize the eternal significance of his statements. The first words as he's standing up there in verse 65, verse 65, he had spoken blasphemy. Christ made two claims in verse 64. First claim, I'm the Messiah. Second claim, I'm God. It was that second claim, I am God, that the high priest ruled blasphemy. This is the cornerstone correct answer to the question of Matthew 16, 15, Matthew 16, 15. Whom say ye that I am? This is the cornerstone truth 
about Jesus Christ. This is the most important truth about Jesus Christ. True, Jesus Christ is the only Messiah. True, Jesus Christ was the greatest prophet ever. True, Jesus Christ was the greatest teacher ever. True, Jesus Christ was the greatest leader ever. True, Jesus Christ was the greatest man ever. But the greatest truth about Jesus Christ that far surpasses all those other truths about him is that Jesus Christ is God. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.